Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer, my daily podcast with the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Of what's been going on in the United States. Uh, and that is the uh, obviously the very, very, very sad death last August sorry, of uh, Harry Dunn. He's, of course, the teenage motorcyclist who was killed in a head-on collision uh, with an American woman, uh, Anne Sekoulis. She fled the country, as, of course, we know, uh, immediately afterwards with the help of United States authorities. It was claimed that she had diplomatic immunity. It has now emerged in a Sunday newspaper yesterday uh, that she was also a former CIA agent. Well, let's talk about this with Rad Seeger, who's advisor and spokesman for the family of Harry Dunn, joins us in the studio right Good morning. Good morning to you. Um, it's an extraordinary revelation that this woman, not only that she was married to a, a, an American who was working uh, on this uh, military site, uh, but that she herself is a former CIA agent. And when did you first learn about this? Saturday evening, Julia. And it was truly shocking. I mean, I think there's been lots of speculation and lots of conjecture about who she was and whether she was somebody very important. But that's the first that we we learned of it. And I've, you know, as as people may know, we spend a lot of time in the foreign office having uh, constructive dialogue between the parents and the foreign secretary. They've asked him that question many times directly. And, they have specifically uh, asked specifically Dominic that question: Who is she? Is she something other than just the spouse of a CIA off CIA officer? And I'm afraid he failed them in his duty of candor. Did he say he didn't know, or did he no, say categorically no, she was not? He described her in our last in our last meeting as a as a former department, a State Department official. Well, that could mean anything. You know, clearly it's germane to this whole this whole would, issue. Would it be reasonable to expect that our foreign secretary would know this? Would they, do we think that the Americans had divulged this information, or the fact that the newspapers were able to get hold of this information one, one, suggests there's we would no, have known? No doubt, Julia, and you know, it's, it's what's become clear overnight. Is, you know, most of Whitehall knew who she was. Um, I, you know, we, we now understand that she was here in the UK between 2013 and 2015 as well. Every, you know, everybody, you know, listen, people in the government know what you and I have for breakfast. Um, to imagine that, that that they didn't know is, 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 is frankly, you know, fanciful. And, uh, you know, these parents, uh, the first thing to say this morning is, you know, they are in pieces. So whatever pain you imagine they're going through, um, 
times it by 100. I, 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 you know, as you can probably tell in my voice, I'm really upset this morning. You're you're, you're their neighbour. I'm their friend Um, and their neighbour, first and foremost. The American Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, just last month, formally rejected the request to extradite uh, Mr. Koulis. Um, She has uh, volunteered to speak to the family, but not to return to the country. We know that the, uh, uh, the Prime Minister and the Foreign Secretary have been demanding her return. What hope do you have of being able to extradite her if the authorities in America are saying no? And if, as we know now, that she is a CIA agent, in which case they will probably do everything they can to protect her. Well, look, I, I can tell you for sure she's coming back. There is no doubt of that in my mind. And I, I, I can't go into all the detail around that, but I, 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 I've almost moved on from that. I know she's coming back. The priority for me this morning um, is how the Foreign Office have behaved with this family. You know, they've misled them from the start, and despite the constructive dialogue that we've tried to get going, um, to, not, to not be open with them um, is, is unforgivable. The next issue is all our safety. Now, I don't know if you guys live in London, but if you tangle with a diplomat today, like we have tangled uh, near Ari of Crowton with mm-hmm. people... You know, you don't stand a chance, and I, you know, the, the, but, but the gov- in terms of the diplomatic community, quite. They, you know, it, it's and effectively we've, we've, see, we've seen repeatedly um, cars driving on the wrong side of the road out of quite, that base. By so, 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 so the bottom line today is that if you come off worse in a tangle with a diplomat, they they get to walk away uh, with impunity. And that's something that should trouble us all. And I, you know, the government need to come out and say, which is it? The, you know, our lives and our safety or their right to to do what's happened here and walk away. Well, you, you last week, uh, sort of with the family of Harry Dunn, you, you linked this to the Prince Andrew mm. case because the FBI have said they want to question Quite. Prince Andrew either in Britain or in America. America, about his relationship with Jeffrey Epstein and what he did or did not know about the trafficking of young girls, um, um, and you link this, you know, as, as sort of a, a, a swap, effectively. But um, we are talking about a woman who has. I mean, she was, she's admitted that she, she was has. involved in the crash. Um, uh, she, uh, you know, she hasn't stood charges, stood, stood uh, to actually face prosecution. Uh, but we we don't actually know that uh, Prince Andrew has actually committed any crime. Was it reasonable to establish a link between those two cases? Uh, there is a common thread because it doesn't matter um, who you are, no one is above the law. And he is required in New York to answer questions. And of course he's innocent until proven guilty. And it's right to point out that he hasn't been charged with anything. But if you, you know, if you have information that you can give or if you um, are committed with a crime, you do the right thing. And that was the common thread. It doesn't matter whether you're Prince Andrew, Anne Sekoulis, Bugs Bunny, or Donald Duck. You go and present yourself to the authorities like you and I, you and I would do, Julia, and, and do the right thing. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Well, let's turn our attention to other issues right now uh, and let's talk about uh, free ports. This is something that the government is promising to introduce. They want to open up a a new uh, consultation on whether or not to bring in free ports around the country to uh, basically offer sort of tariff-free access to companies uh, to assemble uh, their parts uh, in in British ports uh, to bring jobs and more business to our shores in the post-Brexit era. Well, let's talk about this with the Chief Secretary to Treasury, Rishi Sunak who joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, now, the, the government is going to launch uh, uh, pitches for 10 uh, basically free ports, tariff-free zones. Um, tell us how these work and why you think they're good for business. 
Well, now that we've left the EU, Julia, we can create up to 10 free ports around the UK. These are exciting areas with tax incentives, less planning red tape, and uh, no customs duties. And what that means is that it attracts private businesses to invest in these areas, creating well-paid manufacturing jobs, driving trade, and in doing so, they'll boost growth in uh, many parts of our country that are less well-off. And that's something that is important to us as part of our levelling up agenda. So it's something we're very excited about. But it's not got anything to do with leaving the EU. We used to have uh, free ports uh, in this country with, while we were in the EU. Well, we did, but the EU's definition of a free port is very narrow. That's something that a United Nations report actually said a few years ago. So although they're technically possible within the EU, yeah, they're not. But you can't do them in a really fulsome and ambitious way, the way that many other countries around the world have. The US, for example, has over 200 free trade zones. They employ close to 100,000 people. They're responsible for hundreds of billions of dollars worth of trade and manufacturing activity. You know, we want to try and replicate that here. And it will be to the benefit of many communities up and down the UK, as I said, in less well-off parts of our country, uh, which is why it's, it's something we're very excited about. But there's been some criticism of the idea, though, which is that actually a lot of the jobs, uh, well, the fact that the number of jobs that are created tend to be rather lower than are predicted. The enterprise zones we've already got, 61 of those, only a quarter of the number of jobs that were predicted have actually been uh, created. And a third of those actually are displaced jobs from elsewhere. Um, so they're not perhaps quite as successful as we think. Um, but, but, but also that there is, there is just a concern that um, they say they just take business away from other parts of the country. Well, that, that hasn't been the experience around the world. And actually, as I said, these are a tried and uh, tested technique and, and policy that uh, so they're over they're several hundred all around the world. We're somewhat of an anomaly in that we don't have them here. Um, the experience certainly in other countries has been that they attract investment and we live in a world where we you know we have to compete with countries around the world now to attract businesses here to create those jobs if you talk to some of our local mayors who have been out uh, pitching for business around the world you know they would tell you that that they're trying to attract people to the uk it's not about whether you're in southampton or teesside it's about does the business want to relocate to the uk at all and having free ports as part of our offer just increases our attractiveness to, to large companies and will create well-paid manufacturing jobs in places where we'd like to see that growth. So, uh, you know, we feel confident that these ambitious free ports uh, can be a key part of our levelling up agenda. But there'll be a lot of people who say, well, you know, if, if this low tax uh, uh, policy in these particular zones is very successful and attracts uh, jobs and, uh, and, uh, and businesses, why not do it across the board? Why don't we become, you know, Singapore uh, and have a low tax and bring in more companies across the whole country and spread that out rather than concentrate it in particular areas? Well, there's a benefit in concentrating it around ports because that's where you have imports and exports happening. And therefore, it's advantageous to a manufacturing company to set up there because they can import raw materials into that area, turn them into a finished product and re-export them and benefit from a, a positive tax and customs environment to do so. Um, but in general, you're right. Like we want to create a tax system and an economic environment that is supportive of business uh, because ultimately it is, it is business and that business investment that creates jobs 
And that's what we care about. You know, every family, the security of our family finances are built on having well-paid jobs. So if we can create more of those and enable business to do that, I think that that's just good for families up and down the country, especially in some of our less well-off parts, which is where many of our ports are located, which is why this is an important policy. Your party, though, and your Treasury, already where you work, getting a bit of a backlash after Sunday Telegraph report yesterday about plans being considered for a mansion tax that we reiterate an old Ed Miliband policy uh, and uh, they've been accused of being half-baked, also reform of tax relief uh, on, on high earners for their pension contributions as well. This is going to upset a lot of natural Tory voters, isn't it? Well, look, while we keep all taxes under constant review, I can't speculate ahead of the budget and uh, I'm sure you would uh, not expect me to. But look, I, I can be clear that with this budget, we are very much focused on unleashing our country's great potential. We want to unite the country open up a new chapter for our economy. We're ushering in a decade of renewal. That's something the Chancellor's talked about. We, you know, we want to deliver on our promises on tax to help uh, tackle the cost of living, especially for those who are paid less. And we want to spread opportunity across the country, including by investing billions of uh, new money. in. Yeah, oh, but that's the key thing. There's an awful lot of public expenditure that's been talked about, a lot of investment in public services, you know, building HS2 and building bridges been talked about over the weekend. That money's got to come from somewhere. Uh, and, and realistically, that money's going to have to come uh, from the better off society. No doubt there'll be lots of people who say, you know, lots of people who are sitting on very, very expensive properties, you know, two, three, four million pound properties, particularly in the South East, uh, and uh, those those properties have gone up in value huge amounts, um, perhaps you know, no no through no particular hard work by the owner, and that it's time for those to face an extra tax. But do you think that that is going to be acceptable to your 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 I suppose your sort of the, the classic Tory voter as opposed to the new uh, first time Tory voters out you know in in the northeast of the country? Because there may be an element where some Tory voters are saying, "Are you going to take us for granted?" Well, I, Julia, I can't comment on individual uh, taxes in, in advance of a budget. But, you know, what I would say, you, you, know, you talked about the importance of public finances, and I, and I would agree with that. I mean, our rules, a fiscal framework that we set up says that we won't borrow to fund day-to-day -day investing. That's a sensible and prudent thing to do. Uh, but because interest rates are particularly low at the moment, we can take advantage of that. Uh, to borrow to invest in our infrastructure and that's something that we will okay. do and we will do it in a significant way and that will that will mean that we can level up across the country and spread opportunity to every part of the country you know north and south urban and rural we want to see more investment in road and rail um in flood defenses in topical uh, obviously at the moment yeah. and in by doing that you know we can raise up the level of opportunity for everyone and, and the budget will will talk a lot about that uh, can we also talk about coronavirus uh, in terms of extra spending that might be needed to deal with a, uh, the, a major outbreak as uh, has possibly been warned by a, a health uh, specialist over the weekend? Uh, health Secretary, your colleague Matt Hancock, said today that there was a serious imminent threat to public health. Uh, we are, are now seeing more Britons getting infected, more concerns that actually there's far more people who've been exposed or been infected than the Chinese perhaps have, uh, have first suggested and that this may be spreading uh, rather more uh, widely because it's uh, it's mutating. Um, are, is the Treasury, Treasury got budgets ready to go in case we need the extra emergency spending for the NHS, which we know is already creaking at the seams? Yeah, no, of, course, of course we stand ready to do what's required. I think actually the NHS is seeing record investment uh, at the moment, incremental £6 billion this year as part of our 
five-year plan to get £34 billion more in, into the NHS. But when it comes to the virus, and I pay tribute to the Health Secretary for all the work Matt Hancock has done, you know, the UK is extremely well prepared for these types of outbreaks. We were one of the first countries in the world, for example, to develop a new test for the virus. And the NHS are using tried and tested uh, infection control procedures to prevent the spread of the virus. And of course, we, you know, we take advice from independent experts like the chief uh, medical officer and uh, we're working closely with the World Health Organization. Um, but people should rest assured that the health secretary and his team are working round the clock to, to keep the British public safe. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Rishi Sunak, Chief Secretary of the Treasury. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer. Weekday mornings from 6.30 on Talk Radio. Peter Holden, he's the British Medical Association's GP Emergency Preparedness Lead. Uh, Good morning to you, Peter. Morning, Good morning. Um, well, we had these uh, rather shock warnings over the weekend in front of the Sunday Times yesterday. Professor Peter P- uh, Piot, uh, director of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, saying he was increasingly alarmed by the rapid spread of the virus and the huge number of cases and warned that we could suffer a major outbreak and it was likely to become a pandemic. And this is the crucial thing, isn't it? We've been told again and again, look, this is a, this is a, a disease that's got a very uh, low death rate, but it does appear now to be spreading, judging from the cases we've got of the so-called super spread of the British who'd been to Singapore and then was in a a French ski resort. It does appear to be spreading rather more easily than perhaps many had thought. I think the real truth is we don't know. What we don't know is the real attack rate of this. Uh, And then what we don't know is, uh, once we know the attack rate, is how many actually would need hospital. And those who would need hospital, how many might need high-dependency care and of those who need high-dependency care, how many might need an intensive care unit? And that is the big unknown. But both your last two speakers have expressed a concept, if you analyse what they say, of this is about living with risk. I am more likely to die on the motorway that I will join in 10 minutes than I am to die or even get the coronavirus on the current figures. So let's get a sense of proportion. That is not complacency. But it's no good running around like headless chickens, planning for something that you don't know the scale of. What we have is an emergency preparedness system in this country that's based on an all-hazards approach that's designed to be flexible. And I think the real truth from China is how much can you believe? We don't know. Uh, We don't know. Also, we regard China as a big economic powerhouse. It may be, but is there an even spread of medical facilities around the country? We don't know. There is a reasonable spread in the United Kingdom. We do know. So I think what one has to understand is the whole of this preparedness is about business continuity management and doing, uh, <clears throat> running things as near normal as you can. But were we to get a high attack rate, were we to get a high hospitalisation rate, then the concept that we could carry on doing, for example, routine waiting list stuff goes down the tubes. You have to uh, do the most for the most. And so if we had a really high attack rate that required lots of hospitalisation, then, as you heard in the very first piece after the news, this is winter, we're already under pressure, I think we would have to start cutting back on that. Now, you may say, oh, that's terrible. Actually, we had plans for that in 2009. We had a worked-out way of downstepping routine work to meet the rising emergency load, and then a plan to, as the emergency 
fell off to build back up capacity. So I think it is about proportion. It is about remembering life is a risk. And it's about remembering one thing. You cannot defeat Mother Nature. What modern science can do is till the ground so you get the best outcome you cannot defeat Mother Nature. No, indeed. Well, look, the, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, has said the spread of coronavirus is a serious and imminent threat to the British public. And, and the key thing here is that we do live in such an interconnected world now. So many people uh, travelling yeah. uh, around the world. Um, I, I was, my family and I, we were in Malaysia in Singapore uh, at Christmas New Year. We're going to be going to France again very soon. And you think, oh, hold on a minute. There, there are cases in both, uh, in both places. But reality is um, you could be catching it uh, at home with someone who, who was also done the travelling. We we do with the interconnectedness of the world does mean it's going to get harder and harder to contain these viruses. Do you think that, that there should be a little bit more done, uh, but or, or a lot more done by the government, by the authorities, to perhaps contain uh, international travel? People who've been in in China. Um, I mean, you know, America has said you know anyone who's been in China in the last two weeks, uh, you 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 know you're not you're going to be denied entry. That 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 actually wouldn't be um, over egging the pudding on that. That would be a reasonable response. How, how can you say who is likely to be infected? It's called interconnecting flights and hubs. You can't trace where every passenger has been to and which mix of, patient, which mix of passengers were on a given flight yeah. inside an air-conditioned tube that just recirculates the bugs every four minutes. You cannot work that all out. I, I think we have to accept that when you get up in the morning and get out of bed, there is a risk to life. Uh, And that's not being complacent or being stupid. I think we've got to learn to live with risk. And the BMA publishes a very good book on living with risk. It's about putting it in proportion. And this is not complacency, but we are still evaluating how this is coming about. And really, until we know the attack rate and until we know what proportion of those who get the thing need hospital... Actually, all we can do is plan different models. Um, But I think that the idea of banning international travel at the moment is a bit much. Um, When, you know, we've got to keep goods moving, we've got to keep services moving... Uh, you know, we've got to keep our food chains moving, yeah. our drug supply chains and our fuel Th- chains. There's, there's going to be a trade-off in terms of doing that. Uh, Dr Peter Holden, thank you very much. Some nice calm words there. The BMA's uh, lead on uh, for the GP emergency preparedness. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer and The Times. Know your times. Thank you for listening to the best of Julia Hartley Brewer. Don't forget to catch me live tomorrow morning from 6.30 on DAB, Smart Speaker and online at talkradio.co.uk. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.